From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at results from a new multi-state survey, gauging teacher perceptions and working conditions in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, they judged their own level of success very highly. Over 96% of teachers agreed they felt successful teaching in person in the classroom. That dropped by 23 percentage points to 73% of teachers reporting that they feel successful. We welcome Brown University's Matthew Kraft and CUNY's Nicole Simon. Kraft and Simon discuss what they learned from the survey and some important implications for states, districts, schools, and education leaders across the country. In schools where teachers reported that they were benefiting from strong working conditions, um, we also found that teachers' sense of self-efficacy was higher. And we, we believe that this finding is a sign that, that school organizational practices matter now more than ever before. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello, and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Um, and today we're very happy to be speaking with Matthew Kraft, uh, Associate Professor of Education and Economics at Brown University and Research Director for both Future Ed and Upbeat. Uh, welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me, Keith. And we're also speaking with Nicole Simon, a University Director at the City University of New York and a research affiliate with Harvard University's Project on the Next Generation of Teachers. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So today we're discussing your new report, which was produced in conjunction with Upbeat, titled Teachers' Experiences Working from Home During the COVID-19 Pandemic. The report is the result of a comprehensive survey conducted across nine states in April and May, and it offers a unique glimpse into the world of teaching during what arguably is one of the most chaotic and challenging periods in living memory. Uh, to start, could you just tell us a little bit about the survey? Um, what led you to conduct it and what kinds of questions did you have about teaching during the pandemic? So in my role as the director of research at Upbeat, a education technology company that focuses on supporting districts to improve their working conditions in an effort to increase teacher retention, we knew that we were facing this unprecedented situation where the working conditions that teachers were experiencing were unlike any that we had experienced uh, before. And our typical working conditions survey wasn't going to really capture what was going on during this rapid pivot to remote teaching during a pandemic. And so we convened a number of district leaders and school leaders and teachers to hear from them what they were experiencing, what they wanted to know about from the perspective of their teachers, what was happening on the ground to help inform their practices both in real time this spring and to think about how to prepare for the potential continuation of online or hybrid type instruction as schools begin to reopen. And so hearing their feedback 
helped us to think about the types of things that uh, we wanted to know about. And teachers and school leaders and district leaders focused on thinking about what were teachers experiences like working from home and juggling their responsibilities at home and their <laughs> uh, new role as delivering instruction online? What was it like uh, for teachers experiencing this type of new teaching via technology? How, how did the teachers perceive the quality of communication they received and the opportunity to continue to collaborate? And, and what was their own perceptions of their self-efficacy and, and the degree to which students were able to access and engage regularly? And so that shaped the, the questions we designed. We piloted those, got some feedback, and then um, included them in the spring administration of this working conditions survey uh, across uh, a, a large and diverse sample of uh, districts and uh, charter management organizations in states in the southern, midwestern, and eastern part of the country. And this is a, a really nice kind of data point because it not only complements some of the more nationally representative, uh, but smaller surveys. Uh, but it helps us to kind of dig more deeply into what are some interesting nuances and differences in the way teachers have experienced this based on things like their level of experience in a school or the type of school that they work in. So to start, how did teachers respond personally to this dramatic shift that we saw to remote learning? Did they report struggles with things like work-life balance added stress or adapting to new technology? Um, as Matt has talked about in, in other places, the challenge and scale of what teachers and the system of education was asked to do, um, a system that employs almost 4 million people on really short notice with very limited infrastructure, um, the public education system in this country uh, very famously uh, has has trouble pivoting um, was a huge undertaking and a, and really a Herculean task. We asked teachers to learn um, a whole new set of technology overnight. We asked students to shift everything that they know about being a student and about uh, knowing how to learn and how to um, interact in the classroom. And we asked them to do those things overnight with very little support um, and in some places more than others with a very real imminent threat of a deathly virus. And that was extremely difficult for everybody involved. Um, and so I, I really think that, um, that teachers did, did remarkably well. And I think that um, we should talk about that a lot. Um, but I think we found in this, in, in this research that teachers absolutely reported struggling, um, one thing that I think was interesting is that we found that mid-career teachers reported struggling more even than their, than their peers, which is unusual because mid-career teachers are often the teachers um, who finally hit their stride. And those are the teachers who um, often have, you know, figured out, um, figured out what they're doing. Um, and we think that there was a pretty strong correlation between teachers who were um, at that mid-career stage, like between five and 15 years of experience, and um, who had kids at home, who had their own children in school, their own really small children bopping about, needing 
uh, constant attention. So, so yes, teachers struggled quite a lot with that. Um, teachers also reported that they struggled to adapt to the new technology. Um, not surprisingly, teachers with the most experience uh, reported that they struggled with with that the most. But I think it was a struggle for all teachers um, in different ways because of different factors. And we hope that the survey can help us understand a little bit more about what exactly they were struggling with. I would just highlight that when we ask teachers to think about their own self-efficacy and the their sense of success, prior to the pandemic, they judged their own level of success very highly. Over 96% of teachers agreed they felt successful teaching in person in the classroom. That dropped by 23 percentage points to 73% of teachers reporting that they feel successful. So we see this kind of real and sudden decrease in the degree to which the teachers who responded to our survey report that they are able to connect with kids in a way that makes them feel as though they're successfully helping their students to develop their academic and whole self. A common theme that we're starting to see in analyses of remote instruction during the pandemic relates to engagement, um, specifically that large numbers of students have not been or were not logging in or engaging meaningfully with their teachers. Uh, Matt, did the respondents in your survey share that impression? Yes. Teachers expressed a real concern about the degree to which the students they work with were able to regularly engage in learning. By our estimates, based on teachers' uh, reports, approximately 60% of the students that teachers were working with were able to regularly engage in remote learning activities. This is very concerning, to say the least. And not only is it concerning on its overall level of engagement, but we see consistent patterns of Teachers in schools that serve a majority of black students or teachers in schools that uh, serve predominantly students from low-income families reporting that their students are substantially uh, less likely to be able to regularly engage in online learning compared to teachers working in more affluent schools and schools serving much smaller populations of black students. And, and this is consistent with data that a number of other surveys and um, both from the teacher and uh, parent perspective, as well as online learning uh, in engagement data have pointed to as the pandemic and the inequities in access and learning supports that cut across race and class are likely to only have been exacerbated during this sudden and rapid shift to online learning and all the different economic, health, and social challenges the pandemic brought with us. So, Matt, you partially answered my question um, a little already, but I did want to ask about schools that were serving larger populations of low-income and Black students, um, which, as you mentioned, were more likely to report a lack of engagement. And in your report, you noticed that they were also less likely to say 
um, that students had access to vital technology. Um, could you walk us through those findings? And are there any factors aside from just school funding that might have contributed to those kinds of disparities? So in addition to asking teachers about the degree to which their students were able to regularly engage in remote learning, we also asked them about their perceptions that their students had the technology needed for uh, virtual and online instruction. And we found that teachers reported that only about three and four students had the necessary technology from as they experienced the transition to online learning, but that this differed meaningfully again along the same student characteristics that we've talked about before, that schools that were serving larger populations of black students and uh, low-income students, those teachers were much more likely to report that their students faced a lack of access to the, the vital both online uh, high-speed internet and the technological devices and tools necessary to engage in them. You know, we talk a lot about um, access to technology um, and engagement as if those as if access to technology is the only factor in engagement. And the the really strong correlation between um, being poor and not being engaged in um, in online school, I think, is far deeper than just not having a computer or Wi-Fi, although certainly uh, those things are <laughs> pretty key to being able to plug into school. Um, but we know a lot about what it's like um, to grow up in poverty and what that means for students um, and the multiple stressors that stu- that young people who are living in poverty are contending with on a daily basis. And really excellent schools um, often are a place where students go um, and they can shut out the, the noise of, you know, the static of um, growing up in poverty and, and focus. And we took that away from students. We took that away from their families. Um, and at the same time that, again, a global pandemic was hitting, the virus was really real in communities of color and in communities where um, there was limited limited resources, limited limited funds, limited ability to work from home. The level of stress in those communities um, skyrocketed as um, lots of people lost work. People had to make decisions about, you know, parents of students had to make decisions about whether to continue going to work and risk getting sick or to stay home and lose income. Um, I live in New York City where people live in really tight quarters and even um, the the wealthiest people in New York left because just the physical space that people live in here is really hard to be quarantined in. And so I have often thought about what it would be like to, to be living in um, an unsafe home or um, a home that didn't have where I didn't have any space in the apartment that I could go into to be by myself. A lot of parks were shut down. Um, walking down the street became pretty difficult in, in certain places, especially if people weren't um, wearing masks or being careful. Um, and so um, I think that that it's important that we talk also about what it's meant to be to be really poor and to be growing up poor at this time. Um, and that that goes beyond just this like technical fix of getting students computers. And then there's the process of getting devices out to students. Um, and these 
technical problems in organizations that are not that are not set up to operate smoothly can become really serious um, adaptive leadership problems. So, ordering computers, breaking through the breaking through the bureaucratic red tape on on how you even do something like that, um, and making sure that the vendor gets paid and that the vendor has been approved. Those are really significant issues in um, in districts, and those the, those kinds of issues disproportionately affect the kinds of schools that kids who are growing up in poverty attend. So uh, you note in this report that most teachers in your survey um, reported that their district school leadership and peers communicated effectively and provided support. But you also note that their sense of success had dropped substantially since the shift to remote instruction. Um, could you expand on that a little? Sure. Matt talked through uh, some of the actual numbers of um, teachers' precipitous drop um, in in sense of self-efficacy in, in teaching from before the pandemic to um, during the pandemic. I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the role of working conditions. Um, so we know from a, a significant body of prior research, both conducted by um, that Matt and I have both contributed to um, and so many others over the course of research, history, um, that, that there are three things that really matter with regard to, to working conditions for teachers. Um, those three things are strong leadership. So having a principal at the helm of a school, having, uh, existing within a district that is, um, that is thinking strategically and communicating about what those, um, ideas are. Um, second, having effective relationships with colleagues. So, opportunities to work alongside other people who can help you workshop ideas, help take some of the burden off of the work, help you make sense of some of the challenges that you have, and working inside of schools um, that really think carefully about school culture. What does it mean to be a student in those schools? What does it mean to be a parent of a student in those schools? And those things matter tremendously for teachers. In schools where teachers reported that that they were benefiting from from strong working conditions. Um, we also found that teachers' sense of self-efficacy was was higher, um, and we we believe that this finding is a sign that that school organizational practices matter now more than ever before. Um, teachers in every single career phase and life stage talked about struggling with the shift to remote teaching, and obviously, as we've discussed, not always in the same in the same ways, but the, the role of supportive working conditions was huge for teachers. So the working conditions that we asked teachers about focused on things like the communication they received from the district and their administrators, the degree to which they felt recognized in their work and their efforts, uh, the opportunities they had or collaborating with their colleagues and um, the degree to which kind of expectations seem fair to them. And, and somewhat surprisingly, the teachers who responded to our survey, which had a very high response rate, over 78% of teachers responded, were relatively positive about those working conditions. But to be clear, that, that overall kind of degree of feeling positive and thankful for the support that their schools provided them doesn't mean that the support was sufficient for them to 
fully successfully transition in this new environment of remote instruction. And we see that as evidenced by the drop in teacher sense of success that we talked about earlier. We also find that when we move beyond these kind of simple descriptives of what percent of teachers agree they felt supported on a different number of items, that there's was meaningful and wide variation across the schools in our sample and the degree to which teachers perceive that their schools were able to support them specifically during this transition. And um, as we'll talk about, that mattered. So that brings me to my last question. Um, we're speaking now in early July, and we're rapidly approaching the doorstep of the 2020-2021 school year. Uh, few know at this point exactly what school will look like when fall rolls around, but are there any lessons that could be learned from your work here? What do you think districts, school leaders, teachers, or even families can take away from this report and their attempts to improve learning and instruction in the months ahead? Right now, districts and school leaders are faced with one of the most challenging decisions and situations that our education system has encountered in generations. And that is how to design schooling with the uncertainty and risks of doing so during a pandemic. That is coupled with the fact that most districts are facing huge budget deficits and without substantial federal aid are grappling with having to make real cuts when at the same time they're asked to support new expenditures related to keeping kids and teachers uh, safe if they're attempting to return to in-school and in-person instruction. I think our survey has a lot of insights that school leaders can draw upon in thinking about how they're facing difficult trade-offs and decisions in the fall. Obviously, every place needs to decide if and when and how they can approach schooling in a safe way. But regardless of whether school is in person or online or some hybrid of those two, we know that working conditions matter tremendously and that working conditions, as Nicole highlighted, are not narrowly those things that we might Think about like the quality of the school building and infrastructure or the resources in the science lab, that it's about relationships in school organizational practices and systems. And we see clearly in our data that those schools that had more successful working conditions were able to support their teachers to pivot and maintain a relatively high sense of success compared to those teachers who previously had a high sense of success, but whose own self-efficacy dropped tremendously in contexts where their working conditions were far less supportive. When I think about lessons that we've learned from this survey and in general from this time period. I have 
two maxims that come to mind from mentors of mine. Um, one is uh, a, something that Andres Alonso, who used to be the CEO of the Baltimore City Schools, um, talk, talks about a lot, which is the importance of leading from a place of hope. I think that at this time of extreme unrest and um, despair and sadness at a time where we are seeing emotions rise um, in, in all different facets of our um, public and private lives, uh, that, that that really sticks with me as something that um, leaders should remember, that, um, that it, it is so important to hear from people in charge that they know what they're doing, even when they don't, um, and that they have hope that it can get better. And I think that those are that that is something that we really need to start to hear from from leaders at every level, at the at the <laughs> certainly at the the national level, but also um, at the city, state, um, and school level. That there's hope for a better future, and that we can and that we can do this, and we can do it together. Um, but then the second piece of that um, uh, comes from one of my first bosses, whose name was Ilika Cole. And he used to say all the time, real is real. I think real talk helps a lot in a situation like this. Being really straight about what you, what you know, when you know what you're doing and when you don't know what you're doing. Um, and I think that for leaders to communicate about their, um, what they're concerned about, what they do and don't know, while leading from a place of hope is really key. Um, and I think will be key to, to any efforts, um, and certainly to, to getting people to follow a lead. Um, and then I think that, um, we as a field need to learn from the, the world of design thinking. We need to ideate. We need to stay in that space for a little bit. We need to totally figure out new ways of doing our work. Uh, We need to redefine roles. We need to ask students and their parents to give input to, to think about that with us. Um, and of course, as Matt and I um, have tried to begin doing in this survey, we need to ask teachers, what do they think? What do they need? What are their experiences? What are their struggles? Um, and I think that we can do this. Um, we can figure out ways to make the, the coming school year less of a disaster than the, the, this one was, um, in part because we can start now. We can start with a plan in July and get to work. On, on figuring it out. But if we, if we do that without really thinking outside the box um, about how we might approach the work, and if we do that without involving all players in the work, um, I don't think that we can be successful. Well, this is fantastic work. Um, and we encourage our listeners to go and read the full report. Again, it's titled Teachers Experiences Working from Home During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And it's available at www.shankerinstitute.org. Matthew Kraft and Nicole Simon, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the podcast, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRE Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub.